This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Welcome to the Hero Academy Podcast, the place where we can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes. I believe that frontline heroes such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those who have chosen to serve society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here you will learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their passion. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing. Things you can do to make extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you will learn from people like you who are working full time, but still found time to create a course, grow a big team or a large audience or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories and how they overcame burnout. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. I'm your host, David Diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. So we have Dave Metzger. He goes by Nurse Papa. Where can people find you? Well, physically, they can find me in Oakland, California. But if you want to find me on the internet, you can go to uh, nursepapathebook.com, which um, features my podcast and my upcoming book and my blog site. I don't know if you want everyone to find you physically necessarily. <laughs> I'm not, you know, not going to give you my address, but you know, if you're cool, we can come over and have a barbecue. You're lucky you have a pretty common last name. You know, I tried to find you on Instagram and uh, even putting in the moniker Nurse Papa, it was a little tough because there's another guy who goes by the same name. It's Nurse Dot Papa. Is that right? I, I might yeah. have words with this gentleman. Uh, where does that name come from, Nurse Papa? <laughs> so, Nurse Papa. It's the name of my book. It's the name of my podcast. It really came from you know what's been occupying me most in the last five years is the intersection of my life as a dad to two kids and my life as a pediatric oncology nurse to the sick kids I take care of at work, and um, you know kind of exploring how that's changed me and how each role has changed the other role. Well, before we begin and you know really dive in, I just want to say thank you for the work that you do. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> you know, it's really, it takes a special soul to do that kind of work. For the layman, the people that don't know what oncology is, can you just explain that? Yeah, no problem. You know, before I was an, an oncology nurse, I could barely sell oncology, but, um, you know, it's basically taking care of kids who have cancer and other blood diseases. I'm also a bone marrow transplanter, which means we give kids an entirely new immune system and hope that it you know, leads them into a nice, productive, happy, healthy life. So I am a blood donor, but when it came to bone marrow transplant, I was a little bit like, oh, I don't know about that, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. um, well, we need, we need them, my friend, especially, you know, people who are mixed race, um, because it's really hard to find. You know, when you give your bone marrow to somebody else, it's very specifically matched to the person who's receiving it. So, you know, if, if you're mixed race person or um, from a small community, it'd be really helpful to a special little kid. Have you ever seen any complications from that kind of surgery? 
I wouldn't say it's a surgery. It's a long, long process. And yes, there's always complications. You know, the process of getting bone marrow transplant can be so hard, so horrible, especially when it's with the child. And um, it's a long, long journey. One thing I think most parents and kids don't realize before they do have a, a bone marrow transplant is how long it's going to take after it's all done to get back to a normal life. And some of them never will. But, you know, you got to live day by day. And most of these kids, that's what they do. Before you started in nursing, what were you doing? I did lots of things. I had pretty much every job you could imagine. When I was younger, I worked at a gas station. I worked at Ikea. I worked at a you know nursing prep center. But, um, you know, those jobs weren't serious. They were nothing that touched my passions. And then I went to school to UC Berkeley and studied art there. And I spent um, a good deal of my time after school as a sculptor. I had a small business with a few of my friends, and we build you know large scale light sculptures for businesses, hotels, and restaurants. That's um, pretty cool. It was, it was cool. It was hard. You know, having your own business is really, really challenging, as I'm sure you know. And um, you know, keeping the passion up and keeping the energy for it I and mean, the enthusiasm is really difficult. I actually really enjoy not being in charge. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a good number two. I don't know what number I am, but, um, you know, I do like delegating. I think that's really important, especially as a nurse, you have to delegate things often, but, um, I just don't want to be in charge. Well, I want to leave work and focus on what I want to focus on and not think about what's waiting for me. Because, you know, when I had my own business, it was always like, what am I going to be doing tomorrow? What do I have to take care of tonight? What trouble lies down the road? And I'm just not into that anymore. I want to live in the present and I you know, want to be able to be fully present with my kids, with my family, with my art, you know, when I'm not working. I like to clock in, clock out, say goodbye. So if that's what you like, why did you go into podcasting? <laughs> and well, why did you take on all of these extra challenges? Because I think it's in your blood. Oh yeah. I have to say I'm like a, I'm a consummate creator. Like I can't help but make art, you know, whether it's, you know, visual art or music, I play ukulele, I, I write lots of songs, you know, always creating what's, you know, based on the inspiration that's in front of me. So, you know, for the last five, six years of my life, I've been a dad, you know, for the last 13 years, I've been a pediatric oncology nurse. And for me, like to create great art based on those experiences has been really gratifying. So my book's all about that experience of being a dad and being a nurse and, and what it's like to learn from these kids and podcast the same thing. It's, you know, I take a deep dive into these stories of parenthood and, you know, try to learn, try to come out on the other side, you know, feeling more in control, a little bit less stressed out and able to laugh at all these crazy things that happen when you're a parent. What's uh, one of the craziest stories that you have? Funniest stories as a parent or as a nurse, either or, or give me both if you have a couple. You know, everything is funny when you're a parent. It's like from the moment my son was born, I was like, you know, holding him and I was wearing this white robe that, you know, was intended for my pregnant wife, but I look like a cult leader. So I was holding my son and just like <laughs> thinking, I look back at the image and, you know, it just started like the beginning of the insane, funny things that happen when you're a parent. But, you know, as a nurse, it's funny because so many awful things happen there and there's so much sadness, but there's almost, there's also so much happiness too. I can remember one story. I was taking care of this teenager and he was very sick and he was, you know, he failed his first bone marrow transplant. And like when you, the cells that somebody gives you just don't fit into your body, you got to start over because you're going to die if you don't. So 
we had this young man who I'd taken care of quite a bit. And I knew him really well. And he was doing something called bridge therapy, which is basically a high-risk therapy to get him into full remission so he could have another bone marrow transplant. So the medicine we were giving him was called blinatumumab. And at the time, it was really new. We hadn't given it to many people. And it's super high risk. You can have an anaphylactic reaction to it. You don't know what's going to happen. So in any case, I was watching him very closely. We had all these wires him. I could look at the you know monitor screen and see how he was doing in every moment. So I'd started therapy and things were going well. And all of a sudden, his monitor just started beeping and making noises. And it basically was saying, you know, this young man is not breathing. So of course, I ran into his room and burst into the door. And he was just sitting there watching the Warriors play uh, in the playoffs. I forget which team it was. You know, he was a big basketball fan. And he looked at me. He's like, what are you what are you doing? Why are you sweating? <laughs> I made sure everything was okay and left. And then, you know, five minutes later, same thing, apnea. He's not breathing. Run into the room. This happened like three or four times and I could not figure out what was happening. His wires were all connected in the right places. Eventually, I realized that every time Steph Curry took a shot, he held his breath. <laughs> so you know like you find the funny moments in between and you know, we both laughed about it but that that boy died you know he's not yeah. around anymore but i take these memories and it's what keeps me going it what keeps me remembering you know how special these people were and you know these moments that we had together it's almost like being a foster parent because you're taking care of them for a short period of time and you know that, you know, a large majority of them are going to be taken away from you. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully they find health and they go on happy lives and you don't hear about them. You know, there's this funny thing in oncology. You're never supposed to talk about a patient who's, who is out of the hospital because people have the superstition that you'll summon them back to the hospital with sickness. You just want to hear about them tangentially. You want like a Christmas card that they're doing okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's really, it's kind of like that. You have a relationship, a very close relationship for a short, intense period and it's done. Either they pass away or go on to live their lives. And, you know, sometimes you connect and you keep in touch, but I think, you know, and you just kind of appreciate the time you had and, and move on because there's always another kid to, to take care of. What's your biggest challenge right now? either professionally or outside of work? I mean, I think it's the union of the two, right? Because I have this vision for my life. I'm an artist. I want to always, you know, create. And it's by nature, being an artist is selfish. Like, you need your time. You need your focus. You need to be undisturbed. But as a dad, that's the last thing I have control over. What my ages kids, are they? Kids are four and six. Four and six. So I have no time. And it's, you know, it's a constant battle and it's a battle that I fail so often because I will sneak out of the room when I'm, you know, trying to get something done and be called back to the, you know, the room by screams and either from my kids or my wife who needs me. And, you know, it's, it's selfish of me and I'm still trying to navigate that, how to be a good artist, how to be, live truly to myself and how to be a good dad and husband. But one thing that has happened as a dad I've learned how to find those moments in between. You know, I don't know if you have kids yourself, but um, mine are grown. My youngest is 21, so I'm, I'm in a yeah, I'm in a space where like <laughs> all of my time, 90 percent of my time is my time. You know, yeah, you made it. <laughs> I made it. Uh, <laughs> I've been awesome. released. Yeah, but I don't know if you remember like how 
you know, you could have like 10 or 15 minutes or a half hour. And I have like gained this skill to like find the flow state right away. I can sit down, I can write, I can play some music. I've been trained by fatherhood to be very efficient, which is helpful. So when I was writing my book, I would get up about five in the morning before everybody woke up and I would have about an hour and a half before everyone got up. So that was what I did. What's the thing that you're most passionate about? Is it your art? Or is I mean, it- right now, uh, art or fatherhood? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my kids come first. That's yeah. just the way it is. But if to be truthful, it's it's getting this book out and you know, letting these stories of these children and these parents you know, reach a wider audience, and you know, making the podcast and being able to connect with people like yourself, it's been really gratifying. And I'm just hoping that people can benefit from it. That's why I enjoyed podcasting because you can meet such incredible, interesting people, you know, and you can just get a little piece of their life, you know, memorialized forever and ever. We talked about that before we went live, that I had heard you on another podcast that was done back in, I guess, February or March. And and you didn't even really remember being on it. (laughs) I remembered it. Actually, I remember that podcast that the host cried at some point, which I always consider. good interview and i get, can get somebody to cry or laugh there will be no crying in this interview <laughs> oh come on dave we'll get there <laughs> what's one of your best <laughs> no it takes a lot it takes a lot okay. i, I think um yeah i've only had two tragedies basically in my life and that's pretty much the only time that i've cried yeah it takes a personal tragedy for me yeah i think it's into and to cry only way you express there's so many ways to write about something and it doesn't have to have to manifest as a physical act of crying. I don't cry very easily. I honestly don't. It's really hard for me to cry. And I, I thought there was something wrong with me at some point, or I, there was some kind of male block that was preventing me from doing it. And maybe that's the case, but what I really have discovered is that, you know, there's just lots of ways to feel. And some people are demonstrative. Some people are not. And my sadness may come out in another way. It may come out as frustration. It may come out as lethargy or anger, honestly. And I'm just okay that that's the case. You don't have to cry. Someone can make you cry, Dave. Have you ever created art while you were sad? Yeah, really bad art. (laughs) (laughs) So your best art comes from when you're feeling good and when you're in that flow state. Yeah, and I don't say I think that the flow state has to feel good. I think it can be challenging, but it usually does feel good. And I think that art based on emotions can sometimes be really bad art. I think there's a certain amount of calculation and skill that you have to bring to art, whether it be writing music or, you know, painting a picture. I think you have to be in control of your facilities. For me, at least that's what works. I have a friend who's a, who's a writer and a teacher as well. And uh, he describes it as cutting yourself open and bleeding on the paper. And, uh, (laughs) you know, he was talking about his mom having cancer and he was saying that, you know, he just can't really sit down and write while that's, that's going on because I guess, you know, those emotions, they, he he said he, when he gets into a character, he really gets into the character. So, Uh um, you know, I guess that's what partially what you were saying. You're definitely inspirational. And that's why I wanted to interview you. Can you talk more about why you just decided to write your book? You know what? I'll tell you a story if we have time. Yeah, we got time. So 
you know, my son was still in his mom's belly. He was going to be born in a couple weeks. And I was taking care of a, a teenager at work. His name is Jason. And, you know, these kids come to us. We don't know them. You know, they've had their entire lives, sometimes short, sometimes longer, sometimes hard, sometimes easy. Um, but they they us because they're sick. And then Jason came to us. He was expecting to get a liver transplant because he had a bad liver. It wasn't working, which is, you know, a challenging thing to face. But also there's an end. I get you know, get that new liver and you can hopefully live a life afterwards, even though it will be medically complicated. Anyway, before that could happen, his surgeons discovered like this giant tumor on his liver. I mean, it was incompatible with life. It was incompatible with getting a new liver for sure. So he wasn't going to get transplanted. He was going to die. And, you know, he, it wasn't like he had a chance to really come to this acceptance. He was told this and that was it. And I took care of him over the course of three weeks. And, you know, for a long time, he was nothing but pain to me. Like all he projected to the world was his physical and his existential pain. And it was so hard to get into a place where I could get to know him and to, you know, understand how he was feeling. And it really was hard for me to take care of him and to be exposed to all this pain. It's what we do, but it's not always easy. You know, sometimes you have to even shut yourself out from it. And I couldn't figure out how to make it better for him. And at one point I decided that, or at least I learned that you don't have to fix things. Sometimes all you can do is engage with a person who's in pain and let them know that you see them. And one way that I was able to do this, and it wasn't even a way that I thought of beforehand, was you know, giving this young man a bath, just like letting him feel clean and letting him feel totally seen and paid attention to. And I remember after that bath, he laid back and he looked laying down on the beach, you know, and he was relaxed and he was present in that moment. And he really looked at me and I could tell for the first time that he actually saw me. You know, he saw me for the person who I was, not this person giving him medicine. And I remember that day we were in his room and it was you know, this dark windows, shades pulled down and so quiet. You could hear the humming of the medication pump next to him. And all of a sudden he said, David, and he never said my name before. And I said, Hey, Jason, what's, what's up? What can I do for you? And he said, David, do you have cats? And this is more words ever with me beforehand. And I said, yeah, we do have a cat, but she gets mostly ignored these days because she's, and we have a toddler and the cat is taking second fiddle to the toddler. And Jason said, well, we have three cats and one of them put one down because she was sick. And Jason, that's so sad. I'm so sorry that you had to put your cat down. And he said, it's okay. You have to get used to it if you love cats. And in that moment, it was so clear that Jason was a cat and he was coming to terms with his death and basically saying, like, if you love life, you have to be okay with dying because we're all going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Jason died. But you got to be okay with the bad parts if you want to be okay with the good parts. And it was that kind of interaction where I was thinking, wow, like people have to hear this stuff. Like, there's so much wisdom and beauty that comes out of these rooms that nobody ever gets to appreciate because it's so interconnected with so much pain and just sadness. And I wanted a way for people to read this book and not have to live this experience because there's, you know, people think, you know, cancer and sickness is always associated with wrongness and sadness, but it's not. There's so much beauty. You know, as people are dying, they're still living. And there's so much to be learned. 
And if you could, you know, read a book with these stories and benefit from, you know, what these people have to teach, you know, that's the best of both worlds. 100%. Man, that's a really powerful story. It's a powerful thing to experience, my friend. Yeah, I can't wait until uh, I get a copy. I like physical books. I did read some of the stories online, but I like to hold a book because I like to go through with the highlighter uh, so that the next time that I go back, I just go back to the highlighted sections, you know? When can I get my physical copy? When is it going to be available on Amazon? Uh, So it'll be available on August 17th. August 17th. Okay, awesome. Now, if you could turn your book into a Netflix special, (laughs) would you? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. it's be another way, another way to create art, right? I mean, I think you know these stories demand it, right? There's a lot of drama. There's lots of humor. I always tell people that you know you go onto pediatric oncology unit and you're exposed to every emotion, and it's completely appropriate. And I think that's would be really interesting to people. So I would love to turn the stories into something visual and something you could watch. I think it would be super challenging and super amazing. I'd like to see that maybe in five years uh, when your kids are full-time in school. Uh, well, do you know anybody at Netflix? I don't, but we could probably make it happen. <laughs> you know, if, if we come together, like if your book becomes a number one bestseller on uh, the New York Times, you know, list somehow, I think we could probably make some phone calls and make that happen. Yeah, somehow is right. I'm, it's really hard to know where this will go, but um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, but even the most modest appreciation has been so great for me, you know, to have, you know, a complete stranger read the book and say it really touched them. Honestly, it makes my day. Like, I'm okay with that. Uh, If you could give yourself three pieces of advice at 18, what, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to be confident because I feel like so much that was a challenge to me when I was younger was I didn't trust myself. I didn't think I was good enough. And I spent a lot of time worrying about how people perceive me. And honestly, now I don't care how people perceive me. I mean, I want to treat people well and I want to interact with them in a positive way. But if you don't like me, that's your problem. I just don't want to wait to worry about that. I tell myself to not be lazy because there's so much that you can do in this world. And it's really important to push yourself and to see what you can make. And I guess I'd tell myself that you're better than you think you are. Like you've got a lot to offer and go get out there and do it. Whatever it is, do it. I speak pretty bad Spanish, <laughs> which is a, a qualifier in my household because my wife is fluent in Spanish and my daughter is fluent in Spanish. Um, my son is still trying to master English. But uh, it's funny because, you know, not that many nurses on my unit speak really good Spanish. So I'll often be paired with the fully Spanish-speaking parents and kids and have to muscle my way through a day of trying to give complex medical therapy and also speak another language. (laughs) I can, you know, make it through it. Yeah, I really, really wish I could speak Spanish myself too. Yeah, at this point, it's um, difficult. I mean, I learned how to, I learned so many things as an adult that you're supposed to learn as a kid. I learned, I taught myself how to whistle when I was 25, which um, is kind of pathetic. I learned how to speak Spanish when I was 30, and I learned how to play ukulele when I was three. You know, all these things I wish I'd mastered when I was five. (laughs) If money wasn't in the equation, what would you spend all your time doing? I mean, I'd follow my muse, right? I'd make art. I'd spend as much time on the as I can. I love to end up paddleboard, surfing. 
Um, I love to feel the wind in my hair. But um, to be totally honest, I'm able to do all those things right now. Like I make the time for it. Um, I find, like I said before, I'm I'm efficient. And if you don't waste too much time, you know, watching TV or or folding laundry, you can really get your your joys in. So I don't know if my life would change that much if I had money that I didn't have to worry about it. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten from anyone or the, the most encouraging words? I mean, I love it when people tell me that I'm funny because I feel like I spend half my life trying to make people laugh. But um, as a nurse, the best compliment I've ever gotten, and I'm happy to say that it's not too uncommon, is when a parent or their child asks you if you're coming back tomorrow. Because when they ask you that, you, you know that they felt seen, they felt safe, and they felt secure. And that's my job. And I want to be good at my job. And I want people to feel good. So, yeah, that's it. You coming back tomorrow. That's awesome. Sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to have your days off, too. You know, do you work 12-hour uh, shifts or do you work something different? I get paid for 12-hour shifts. But um, I have to say, I get up at 530 I hop on my bike, hop on the train, and get to work by you know, 7 o'clock, and I don't get home until 8.30. So get paid for 12 hours, but on days where I work, I work for 15 hours. I mean, I'm out of the house, and I know you don't get paid for commute time, but you know, it's time I'm away from kids. It's time I'm away from my wife. It's time where my wife is completely in charge of taking care of everything when I'm not there. So I found as I get older, it's, it's hard. I'm tired when I get home. And I can't do three days in a row anymore. I have to do two days, take a break, and another day. Mm. When your kids do get in school, you're probably going to have a lot more free time during the day. So do you have a plan, like what you're going to do more of? I mean, more of the same. And my kids are in school. It's the second day of school today. We dropped Ah. them both off. Yeah, it's, oh my God, it's so crazy. The little little one is in school? The four-year-old? He's in school. Well, he's almost five. Oh, okay. Okay. So So kindergarten, right? Kindergarten. We were born on the same day, August 27th. So when I was 40, he was zero. So he's five now. I'm 45. And I, yeah. It, the we're the same having, age. We're exactly yeah. the same age. I yeah. like you were born in September, right? Uh, no, January. January. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. It's having a quiet house is, it's kind of amazing. I mean, you have it now because your kids are grown up, but I'm not used to it. So I actually cleaned up the entire house yesterday and it's still clean, which is... <laughs> <laughs> Kind of amazing. Where I'm going to see how I'm going to see what happens here, but yeah, I'm going to spend my time. Hopefully, this next couple of months promoting the book and the podcast, Nurse Papa, and enjoying myself. We'll see what happens. That's awesome. All right, my last rapid fire five before I let you go. How do you define a hero? So I have honestly have a problem with the word hero, and I know that it's the basis behind your entire podcast and what you do. And I don't mean I don't believe in heroes, but um. Everybody's flawed. Everybody has problems. Everybody's trying to work it out and be better. And for me, a hero is somebody who comes into a situation and despite the flaws, despite all the things that they do wrong or you know wish they did better, they just show up. They show up and they do it and they do it with a smile and they don't worry about somebody else noticing. You do your job and you show up. You know, poor art, when I tell them that... I'm a pediatric oncology nurse. They'll say, oh my God, you're such an angel. And I'll tell them, I am not an angel. I am just such a jerk sometimes. Just <laughs> I'm such a jerk. So this idea that there's people out there who have it figured out, 
I just don't buy it, man. I don't buy it. And I'm going to be real. You know, we do our best. I have a, a great job. I get the opportunity to come in and take care of people who need help. And I am well compensated for it. You know, the currency that I get, it's currency of the heart. It's currency of the emotions. You know, the real heroes are these kids who have cancer and they, you know, they fight to stay alive. They're, they're the heroes. So you do have a servant's heart. But when stress is at its highest and you're starting to feel kind of low, how do you save yourself from that breaking point? So even in the hospital, there are very few moments when you don't have a second to stop, pause, and take a break and really reassess space and where your mind's at. I mean, there are moments when there's emergencies, emergency situation and you need to get into a room. You need to start compressions or start life-saving techniques or, you know, save somebody. But that happens very not very often. You really, there's always a moment to get control of yourself and take a breath. And that's what I do. I just try to like reassess where I'm at and not feel like everything has to happen in that moment. Have you ever considered adding a coaching component to your business? Well, I don't know what my business is, <laughs> but uh, podcasting, I, writing. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you. I, I mean, you have a lot. Of, you have a lot of experience with uh, dealing with pain, and you know, being a parent of young children and finding time for yourself. You just have a lot of life experience. Yeah, let me tell you, I'm deep in the red. Um, as far as time spent writing and podcasting and being a dad. So any compensation I get from this book or podcast is never going to make up for the time and hours I've spent creating it. And I don't care. I don't think money is the key to happiness, but I love teaching. I love you know mentoring young nurses on the floor. I love being a resource for people who need help. And I would love to, if the book was successful, to bring it to other people. I think there is an inspirational component to it. I'd love to, to speak to people. If that can be called coaching, I you know we could call it that. But I think it would just be exposing people to. Well, if you're exposing people one on one, you know people may decide to compensate you for that, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's, if you're inspiring people and you're bringing value to other people's lives, I, I don't think it would be anything wrong with you mentoring people, and maybe someone wants to you know do exactly what you do. And, put their pain to purpose, you know, pain to paper, you know, what's your best strength, your best ability, what's your power? I think my ability to laugh at myself and to make other people laugh is, you know, what I do best. I tend to find the humor in situations, no matter how bleak they can be. And I'm really used to being the most positive person in the room, which in my profession is, it's a really great thing. It allows me to be able to navigate some pretty tricky situations. And you know, what's so interesting and when I was a young nurse, it felt really difficult for me to encounter people who were experiencing pain because you don't know how to act. You don't know how to hold yourself. You don't know how to be. But I, I discovered that that was my discomfort. When somebody is, is really sad, they don't want you to brush it off. They don't want you to ignore it or pretend it's not there. You have to encounter it. And sometimes encountering it really requires being liked. So I've learned how to do that and how to be real. And and that can often be very funny. Well, just for fun, my last question for you. If you had a comic superpower, what would that be and why? It's funny because I often ask this. So when I when I participate in interviews with young nurses who want to be on our floor, I've just thrown that question at them. You know, they're expecting to ask, be asked about nursing techniques or what they hope to achieve. And I, I ask them, what would you be your superpower if 
you know, if you had one. And for me, it's a way of like helping them relax and also helping them to think like a kid, because after all, they're going to be pediatric oncologists. If you don't have a vast imagination and a really strong ability to kind of think out of the box the way a child does, then you might want to reassess what you're doing because you might not enjoy taking care of kids. So if I was asked that question, I would say the ability to, to fly, just the idea of being able to be in the air and soar like a bird is just like so amazing to me. Flying represents freedom, and that's why people choose flying so often because it, it, yeah, freedom. Imagine just bending your knees and taking off, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really appreciate all of the work that you do. Give yourself as a hero, but someone out there, you are definitely a hero. I appreciate the work that you do. I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. I really had a great time talking to you. You too, brother. Be well and uh, look out for that book, Nurse Papa, August 17th. August 17th, and you can find out more about it at nursepapathebook.com. And you can always visit my podcast, Nurse Papa, and, you know, dive into a story of parenthood. And, you know, another segment I have on the show is a parent will write me a letter and I'll answer um, in a very cheeky way their parenting questions. That's pretty cool. I need to uh, implement something like that for my show. (laughs) (laughs) I might be the first one that writes to you. (laughs) <laughs> hey i'm gonna look for that and then yeah because on the show that sounds good because i'm a king at being able to give advice that i could not take <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much dave it's been an honor yeah you too thank you take care all right all right family i hope you enjoyed this episode Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of their story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at David Leith, the number one. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.